This is Shannon in Durham, Chip in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And you're listening to The Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 12, Survivors. Welcome and welcome back. All of our listeners are veterans and our newbies to the latest episode of The Audio Guide to Babylon 5, in which we continue our voyage through one of the best science fiction television shows out there. We're very glad to have you back with us for the latest episode, Survivors. To get started, what you need to know. Since his election in Midnight on the Firing Line, the Earth Alliance president, Luis Santiago, has proven to be a supporter of the Babylon 5 project, a united nations for many spacefaring races, in spite of opposition on Earth to increasing alien exposure and influences. The opposition includes radical terrorist groups such as Home Guard, who have caused problems on the station in recent months. Security Chief Michael Garibaldi is a man with a bit of a troubled past, but he has proven himself to both Commander Sinclair and Lieutenant Commander Ivanova. In this episode, President Santiago, touring the Earth Alliance, is coming to visit with a bit of political grandstanding, a present of a new fighter wing for the station that causes much Russian scrambling to have previously unused ship bays converted and ready. An explosion detonates, critically injuring a worker in the process. The president's chief of security, Liana Kemmer, arrives and instantly starts throwing her weight around and showing a gigantic grudge against Garibaldi. Garibaldi explains to Sinclair that Kemmer's father died 17 years ago on Mars when criminals tried to kill Garibaldi. He has had a decades-long problem with alcohol, and that episode triggered a downward spiral that took a great deal from which to recover, both personally and professionally. Things get complicated when the casualty, Nolan, accuses Garibaldi of planting a bomb with his dying breath. After Sinclair has to revoke his security access, evidence is found in Garibaldi's quarters, sending him on the run. He leads a merry chase, but falls prey to the bottle in a seedy bar and is finally caught by Kemmer and her forces. During his questioning, one of Garibaldi's subordinates brings new evidence that Nolan himself planted the bomb. Garibaldi pieces the events together, realizing the president is still in danger, and convinces Kemmer to investigate. They uncover the conspirator, and Garibaldi manages to stop him with milliseconds to spare before a new series of bombs would have destroyed the president's shuttle, the new fighter wing, and half the station. Garibaldi and Liana begin to reconcile before she leaves for her next assignment. And that is the episode Survivors. One thing I want to throw out before I turn it over to you two is... Rewatching this series at this time, I think I'm seeing at this point that a lot of these early episodes have become sort of a tour of the characters as part of the world building process, whether they're related to the overall story arcs or, or not. Uh, we've been getting episodes that focus. We've had uh, Londo back in Born to the Purple, Talia in Mind War, Sinclair in the, uh, and the Sky Full of Stars, and just last episode, uh, Franklin with Believers, and now it's Garibaldi's turn. What do you guys think this is a fair assumption? Does it work for you guys? Am I totally off base? <laughs> I think you're I think you're actually right on. I hadn't put it together that way, listing it out, you know, each person per episode, but now that I look back on it and you lay it out, it it you're absolutely right. It totally plays that way. And as I keep saying, I'm really watching for the character moments and the character development. So so I like the fact that we get sort of an episode to showcase the either the past or the personality or something about each one of these characters, because there are a lot of characters in, in a big ensemble show like this. And and I appreciate the fact that we are getting 
getting to know them kind of one by one. It, there's, it's impossible to give you one episode or even just a couple where you get enough character development for each of these people. So I, I'm happy with them spreading it out. I, I can't say that I'm necessarily as happy with this episode in total. Um, but I do like that Garibaldi is getting a little bit more of a stage. Actually, uh, when the episode was finished, Stephen, my husband, who is watching this for the first time, uh, quite liked it. And he said that that he really appreciated Garibaldi getting a chance to be um, the main focus. But he he didn't know at the beginning how it was going to play out with, with Garibaldi being the main character here, because up until now, he had sort of been, as Stephen put it, a quip machine. So I think he really fleshed <laughs> himself out as a real character at this point. And I, I guess that that's, a, that's an important thing. And I'm not the only one who thought that. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, quit machine. You, now, Stephen has some good insights in this show. You should, you should, <laughs> you should make him hang around for a bit. Yeah, maybe I will. <laughs> yeah, this was an episode that I really wasn't looking forward to. Not like say believers from last week, where I was sort of like, oh, I'm going to have some nasty feels over this one. But this one, I just didn't. I, I didn't have a good rem- memory of it, just the, of Leanna and Garibaldi at each other's throats and uh, drunk again, Uncle Mike, you know, this stuff. I just didn't have a good feeling about it. I'm going to have a lot more to say about this episode in the spoiler section, but I found this a lot more enjoyable from a writing standpoint and from a performance standpoint for uh, Jerry Doyle. Uh, then I was ready to give it credit for. Uh, directorially, maybe not so much. It's the same guy <laughs> who did. It's the same guy who did Soul Hunter and Parliament of Dreams. And uh, as we've seen, subtlety is not a strong point. But on balance, I like it. I like the intrigue, and I like the um, glimpse of Earth politics uh, sort of um, imposing themselves on the station. Even that opening scene uh, before the credits roll uh, of. Uh, Garibaldi and Ivanova trying to one-up each other when it comes to cynicism about Earth politics. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like this more than I disliked it. I'll say uh, I'll definitely say that. I really liked this episode myself. Um, I liked the fact that there was a mystery to solve. I tend to appreciate uh, a mystery plot where there's something to figure out. Uh, watching the characters unravel and put things together. Um, I also very much appreciated um, not only the focus on Garibaldi, but the fact that uh, they were able to use him to bounce off several of the other characters um, into some really neat moments. Um, We mentioned, you know, Ivanova and Garibaldi at the beginning being cynical about Luis Santiago giving them a new fighter wing that's going to cost them money in the long run. Uh, I also really liked when um, he had to take off that when he approached Londo, Londo surprised him by offering him the help and, you know, giving us a neat little bit of, of Londo in the process that, you know, he sees a kindred spirit, he would like somebody to get something good out of it, that sort of backhanded way of saying that Londo doesn't expect to get anything good out of life anymore for himself. And of course, Londo accuses Jakar, which he always does. Um, <laughs> and then Jakar turns around and very always, Jakar is always looking out for the Narn first. Here is somebody that would make a great resource for us. I'm going to make the offer. I'm going to see if I can convince him to join us. We will offer him the shelter he needs, and in turn, he will help us. Um, Of course, Garibaldi throws that right back in his face. And then Jakar plays fair. He doesn't call the authorities and turn Garibaldi over right then and there in revenge. He just, you know, lets him go. He tried, he failed, and he goes on. So I really like getting more bits of that. 
We also, of course, get more bits of, you know, Ivanova. Um, Mm -hmm. getting more of her personality on duty, as Chip said last episode. She's really starting to let her personality show when she's on duty. um, She even has her hair down. Yes, her hair is finally down. And that's a parallel I'll mention later when we get to it. But yeah, Ivanova's letting her hair down and she's um, not afraid to stand up and use her own authority and in some cases deviously use her own authority to get what (laughs) she wants. Um, we get a touch more of Dr. Franklin. Yes, you know, all last episode was all about him and his passion for medicine and helping people. We see a touch of that again, because he's absolutely livid when Major Kemmer interferes and essentially kills his patient. So there's a lot of neat stuff to chew on, um, along with the main plot points. You know, I I cannot disagree with anything you just said. I I love all of those character moments. I I always appreciate it when you get like a little another piece of, you know, this is this is what the Centauri society sort of sort of looks like, or in this case, Londo specifically. Um, I I love that the tables turning and how Londo is the one offering Garibaldi a loan of of money. And, And of course, like you said, Jakar, who's always working an angle, all of those little things I love. I like that the Garibaldi was the main character here. And he unravels this mystery, even though he's, you know, on the outs and all of those things are are good, but I, I, I think, I've been waiting for the butt here, Erica. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think when uh, I think in this case the character moments, as good as they were, were just sort of overshadowed by my overall experience watching this story. If all of that stuff was crammed down into say fifteen to seventeen minutes, I would have loved this story. But it just I think the direction did not really work for me. It felt clunky and it felt slow and laggy in a lot of places and the biggest problem i had with it was the multiple multiple fight scenes Uh, any listeners any listeners who have followed chip and i here from our doctor who podcast might understand what what i mean when i say that i felt like i was watching a john pertwee episode of doctor who (laughs) it would not have felt at all you know venusian aikido and an action by havoc title card at the end would have just fit right in and for some people that's a huge compliment for me it's the opposite of a compliment because that bores the crap out of me so there were many points where i was just completely checking out kind of you know not quite rolling my eyes but i was just not engaged so i i kept losing the thread of the story and the emotional through line every time there was a, a fight scene because that kind of stuff just doesn't appeal to me so i'm it, and I'm, you know, they weren't necessarily bad fight scenes or anything. They were some of them were standard. <laughs> some of okay, them, were. some of them maybe were, <laughs> but but that was that was just enough for me as a viewer to make me not care. So it's I just can't put this one in the in the positive column, despite all of the good marks that I have towards it. However, to to compare at the end of it, Stephen actually clapped. He really enjoyed this episode. So I was like, well, I guess there's no accounting for taste. For <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, I'm going to be honest. Go, go ahead, Chip. Well, uh, Exhibit A for unnecessary fight scene, um, and, and I think it's the worst offender by far, is uh, when tattooed dude that Garibaldi busted earlier uh, just happens to show up and just happens to jump Garibaldi. And then two Drazi just happen to drop in by chains uh, and join the fray. And then Sinclair, who has been looking for Garibaldi, just happens to find him at this moment. I okay, know yeah, why that, that, that fight bothered me. I, I know why that fight scene exists. It's to really 
mess up Garibaldi some more, make him look really rough, make him feel battered and broken down, and make it all the more likely that he's going to hit the bottle when he gets to the, um, what was the name of that bar? Happy Days or something Happy like that? Happy Days. Happy Days. D-A-Z-E. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, no subtlety there whatsoever with that title. But, you know, that that fight scene only exists to drag Garibaldi down and to fill out some time, I suppose, some running time in the episode. And, that, and it does feel padded. Um, I, beyond that, I don't think any of the other fight scenes were were necessarily superfluous. They just weren't uh, all that well put out. But that right there is kind of egregious. And it does sort okay. of drag down the episode a bit for me. But but Stephen okay. applauded. Yes, he did. <laughs> then again, he he likes the action by Havoc sort of thing. So who knows if that played into it? True. <laughs> okay, but I'm being honest here. You keep saying all the fight scenes. I can only think of the three. The uh, when Garrett three and- fight scenes in an episode is so many more than we need. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hardly even. I couldn't front. even remember the first one because for, to me that's not a fight scene. That's Garibaldi just losing his temper all over this guy that he's had to bust repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even consider that like a actual fight scene. Uh, the second one, yeah, maybe a bit long, you know, a bit staged. But my impression was that um, they were setting up Garibaldi, like maybe that they had spotted him or or sort of knew where he was. And so one guy goes after him and then his two buddies jump in when he gets in trouble. That was my impression. I, I could be wrong. Um, but I agree. It, it was necessary to do something like this to push Garibaldi further down the road towards um, relapsing. And um, and it was also, I thought, staged to kind of show that, you know, Garibaldi is is a fighter. He, he can be, you know, physical if he needs to be. This is one of the reasons that he's been able to claw his way up to being a chief of security. Um, now, and, and it's also a... It's also a dil- an illustration of uh, Jakar's point that without his badge, Jakar uh, um, Garibaldi's really vulnerable, um, right. and so yeah, and so he gets jumped on. Yeah, but now the third just, scene they just the- stretched on and on. I mean, I, I guess I I agree that they had they had a point to them. Maybe yeah. they weren't totally gratuitous, but yeah. I, I would have liked to see the beginning of the fight and then just like, you know, maybe let's yeah. dissolve to the next scene or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the third the third fight scene was the one that felt stretched out to me, but then of course they had a 30 second count to go down to the very last second before um, Garibaldi convinced Ivanova <laughs> yes. to abort the count. Um, because you can't have a count end anywhere earlier than at one. I think it's a rule <laughs> of science fiction. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some some writers get clever and they let they end it at two or three, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, but now they, they do. This was the nineties. <laughs> this is <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, yeah. But I agree. That was the that was the one thing about the um, entire plot that really grated on me was the fact that Sinclair was able to get right there and jump right in. You know, not even pull his weapon because you know it would have been hard to try and shoot and not hit Garibaldi. I understand that, but still, that felt egregious to me. You know, I was actually okay with Sinclair showing up at that point. I mean, when he first showed up, I did have that moment of like, how did he get there? And then I kind of thought about it. And I was like, well, you know what? Those are the only two guys really who have been here since the very beginning, since the station came online. So if anybody is going to know the station backwards and forwards and the way that the other each thinks about the station and knows the right. you know the byways and the secret ways, it's going to be those two. So had it been another character like Ivanova, that that maybe wouldn't have played as well. But it, it being Sinclair and Garibaldi, I was able to just cut it some slack and hand wave it. 
Okay. Going away a bit from sort of the plot pacing to the plot itself, how does it grip you guys? Uh, JMS on uh, back on RecArts SF uh, TVB5 uh, talked quite a bit about the process of when Garibaldi actually pushed far enough to um, to turn to the bottle. He had apparently several commenters going like, "Well, why didn't he go get drunk the minute he saw Linnea again? Why didn't he? Why didn't he?" And JMS responded, "He had both." professional and personal experience with alcoholics. And he felt very strongly Garibaldi was strong enough to see Linnea again uh, and strong enough to deal with the initial suspicion of him, but that it it would take more than that to push him um, into drinking again. What do you all think about that? I actually, I I also have some personal experience being very close to somebody uh, who is an alcoholic. And I think that that kind of a a thing, like the the point at which they will or will not um, turn back to alcohol, which (laughs) I'll say I witnessed multiple times, uh, it really depends on the person. Mm -hmm. So I think in this case, it's completely up to JMS to decide, you know, he's writing this character, he's creating it to decide at what point that that's going to happen. For some people, it's it's just, you know, a mildly bad day. For some people, it's it's a really bad day. And for some people, it's actually a really good day. (laughs) It it can it can be anything. Mm -hmm. So so I don't I don't have any problem with him as a writer choosing what the time frame is going to be because he's the one that gets to create this character and if he decides that Garibaldi is, is strong enough to last that long and that's the point at which he breaks then that that not only is okay with me but it tells me something about Garibaldi's character and what we can you know expect from him as a person and I, so I'm I'm fine with it. I think people sometimes criticize fiction for not being true enough to real life when real life itself is messy enough. So, so a character can, a a character coping with addiction can fall vulnerable at any point. And it's just a question of how believably and plausibly it's done. This is the first time in the series that, uh, that Garibaldi has described himself as an alcoholic, if I recall correctly. That status is described early enough in the episode, and then things escalate, 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 and finally the guy just hands him a bottle, and and there he goes. And I didn't have any issues with how credible it was. Um, uh, I might have had some issues with Jerry Doyle's performance as the. Uh, uh, I, I, At the I've height not of seen. Yeah. <laughs> I was that, I, I was even just going to say speaking of believable and plausible, I don't think he's the best drunk actor. <laughs> no, no. Um well, he stumbled and, and, well, but then it went downhill from there. Oh, oh, it was a great stumble. Um and um <laughs> and it that was one of the few uh actiony set pieces that I thought was really well done here is when he staggers out of the bar and um they jump him and he f- falls over that uh um railing or whatever it was. And I thought that was that was good, but uh, that was other other otherwise that was comedy drunkenness when I think that required a more serious touch. Mm-hmm. Although I I do want to to give Jerry Doyle some some props that that scene was not not great but I felt like he actually had some really strong moments and he's he's an actor that I feel like maybe hasn't always been 
the best. Some of his more earnest speeches in previous episodes have left me feeling a little bit eye rolly. Um, but here he had some he had some really good moments, like the the moment that that guy in the hat offers him the bottle. I I believed him. The look on his face, his, I could tell what he was going through the the thought process and and the pain of sort of that decision making, and then these just sort of effort moment where he just decides to do it. I was like, yep, yep. I get that. And then I, I think he actually had two even better scenes towards the end of the episode. Uh, at the end when Sinclair and he are talking about, like he's talking about crawling back into the bottle. Um, I thought he was really good there. Of course, yeah. that might have just been in comparison to uh, Michael O'Hare. Um, <laughs> but then we also had Garibaldi in the very last scene that he had with uh, Major Kemmer. Um, of course, again, that also might have been in comparison but uh, to her. But I, I do think that he was very strong performance-wise when he was being, I guess, maybe Ernest isn't the right word, but but sincere. Mm-hmm. I think he does yeah. sincere very well. Yeah, and he's not, Jerry Doyle is not called on to play Garibaldi as sincere very often um, mm-hmm. because, you know, quit machine. But when when the moment calls for it, he usually sticks the landing. Yep, agreed. Um, well, mentioning some of the other um, performances, uh, let's have a real quick Sinclair check. You know what? I think between our last episode recording and this one, I put my finger on what it is that bothers me about Sinclair a lot of the time, in addition to the intense thing, which is always just going to be a problem for me. I feel like Sinclair is, he's not just like the father figure to the station, but he is a capital D dad. Like with the, like, I just feel uncomfortable with him trying to interact with people often. I feel like he has bad jokes, like dad jokes. I just, I see him. (laughs) as as the the dad who tries to who tries to wander into the room when all the teenagers are playing video games or whatever and try to try to you know get along with them and and talk to them on their level and it just doesn't seem to work for me so yeah sinclair is the b5 dad yep wow (laughs) sorry chip wow we can't be friends oh (laughs) <laughs> that said, you know, he, he has his moments and he doesn't in in, in this episode. Um, it's but it's not his episode. So he just sort of he, he just sort of comes in and comes out. But this is um, this this is very much uh, Jerry Doyle's episode. And um, by comparison, um, O'Hare doesn't do as much damage, I guess. You know, it's, he's not required to. Um, he's not yeah. uh, you know, not yeah. required as much. I I think um, what worked for me most with Sinclair's presence this episode was the fact that yet again he has put between rock hard place because on the one hand he has got this snippy little major throwing her weight around and forcing all kinds of authority on him versus him having to essentially suspend his best friend and you know take his authority take his link take his gun that sort of thing and i believed in it when o'hare was presenting being caught in between you know these two really impossible places since we've both been talking about we've all been talking about actors and we've mentioned uh, liana kemmer a couple of times what did we think of her I thought she fit right in with Sinclair. <laughs> she was, she had sort of that same wooden, and maybe this is just that that's the way that they're choosing to portray the the real soldiery so, soldiers in this this world. I don't know. I just I didn't really believe much of anything from her. I thought that her transformation then at the end when she suddenly becomes softer was just. It, 
she struck me as very stagey in the way that she acted. She just went a little bit too far in each direction and she would have pulled it back into the middle. I think I would have would have believed it a little bit better. Uh, I also found it a little bit just kind of over the top from a from a perspective of uh, costuming that suddenly she has her hair down. Well, of course she does because she's, you know, she has come to terms. That was an obvious yeah. bit of visual visual mm-hmm. cue. Yeah. Um I will say I, she did I will say she did a good enough job that I wanted to smack her in the first half, first two thirds of the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she did a good enough job there. But then when time came for her to start doubting and trying to put the pieces together as Garibaldi gets enough evidence to to figure out what's been going on. And that last scene, I did, I did not buy her performance as much in those last few um, in those last few minutes. But earlier, yeah. <laughs> I was very, I was very easily um, convinced that, you know, she is this tiny little thing, possibly even though JMS in general has not shown this to be an issue, but because she's a fairly young woman and a fairly important job, um, just clinging to that authority like a shield and throwing it around way too hard. Yeah, as the character was written, I was I was fine with that. And actually, same with Sinclair, as as you mentioned, I I did appreciate his his decision making process and you know having to go with authority. And I was I was fine with her characterization as it was written. I just wasn't keen on the performances. Well, Chip, you were going to say I I actually bought her performance and enjoyed or at least appreciated the character full on all the way up until the very end when she let her hair down. She just struck me as very believable in, you know, the chief of security for the president, you know, think think Secret Service people who have no sense of humor, at least as far as we are able to determine. I bought her performance there. Uh, it's just that when she saw and even when she starts to even when she starts to doubt and uh, after Lou Welch has come in and presented the new evidence, even then I was on board with her. Uh, I was less so, and this is sort of directorial and sort of writing, you know, um, when she marches Garibaldi up at gunpoint to confront Cutter. I didn't believe that she would have done that, and she wasn't acting at all professional. You know, I didn't believe in the acting job when she uh, brought him with her, and that just sort of fell, falls down. And then, And then we have the nice heartwarming reconciliation thing and uh, i i totally don't buy her at that point you know you mentioned the part where where lou welch brings in the the more evidence and then she and garibaldi are sort of talking it out and kind of working together to to figure things out that scene actually is the one scene where i did think that i i bought the performance because as i said <laughs> earlier you know she was she was being so it was like she it was too over the top with her with her tenseness and her secret service style it felt like she, there was a trying too hard vibe for it for me and then of course at the end i felt like she was trying too hard to be all you not quite weepy, but just sentimental, and that didn't work either. But that happy medium, we get one scene in the middle where I was all okay with it. So there, yeah. that's something. I, I thought. I also thought that she was uh, pretty good, and I was creeped out by her when she's interrogating the yeah. guy in the med lab. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you, you, know, <laughs> you, you probably thought that was over the top, but I thought that that was chilling and believable. I will give it. It was definitely chilling. Um, because I could, again, as written, I could definitely see a character character doing that. I just, I didn't quite buy her performance of that that action. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not 
overly worried about the performances when it comes to this. This is something that, yes, I will point out for the sake of a podcast, but that that wasn't a deal breaker as far as my, my enjoyment of the entire episode. I think it was just one more brick in the wall, so to speak, <laughs> that, that kind of tipped it over the, the wrong direction yeah. for me. There is something of a house style to season one Babylon 5 that we're sort of seeing now, which is a little over earnest, a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. Would you say? You know, I wouldn't have thought of that, but but yeah, I can see it. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it because you know we're still constructing the house and we're not quite ready to go inside yet to see what is what all this stuff um, is hidden in there. A couple other uh, sort of little things to bounce off. The story was originally supposed to be titled "A Knife in the Shadows," um, which caught my eye when I was looking at the Lurker's Guide. What do you guys think? I personally think Survivors turned out to be a better title myself, but um, but that seems to show sort of the direction that JMS and the uh, the writer of the episode, Mark Scott Z- Zickry, I think, might have been going when they first started it. I don't know. Uh, Survivors doesn't really explain itself until that last dialogue between uh, Garibaldi and Kimmer. And I, th- you know, oh, that's why they're calling it Survivors, because we survive, we survive, you know. I, mm. so I, And I think that's such a generic sentiment that that could be applied to an awful lot of episodes of not only Babylon 5, but a lot of <laughs> other shows. So uh, it, w- when we were looking at the DVD, I was like, oh, Survivors is next. And then I was like, you know what, I have no idea what this episode is about. I had yeah, no yeah, I had that moment, if, too. If it was called something snappier, like A Knife in the Shadows, I mean, maybe that's not a great title either, but I like it a heck of a lot better than Survivors. Okay. Uh, something else that uh, JMS talked a lot about on the on Rec Arts SF at the time, uh, this episode includes a lot more in the way of special effects than they've used before. Uh, There's specifically uh, composite images, that teaser where uh, Sinclair from the Observation Dome sees Nolan blasted out into space and floating across. Um, That was done with a two-level green screen and composite. I'm not so sure that the Garibaldi, at least on our television, uh, Garibaldi and Ivanova in the uh, shuttle really looks kind of bad um, on our particular screen. But that last scene Mm -hmm. between Garibaldi and Linnea, um, the only other real piece of of prop around them is the ladder. The entire bay around them was uh, CGI'd after the fact. And I remember, actually, um, that's just the that's just that last shot when she's right. climbing up. Um, everything else, everything else in the two shots and all that stuff is oh. is the real set. Oh, okay, I misread. Either way, I think that the scene, yeah, you can tell it's a special effecty shot when she's climbing in, but I thought it looked a lot better than the <laughs> the Ivanova and Garibaldi in the uh, in the <sighs> in the little car shot. That was, that was and it, but you know. That's not something that bothers me. I will I will notice it and kind of chuckle to myself, but I don't really care. I'll tell you the one bit that did just drive me crazy, and it's not anything that anybody would have seen uh, on the original airing, or if you happen to have your uh, old school uh, VHS tapes, but because they have to use these composite shots as is without being able to reconstruct them when you've got um, video effects going on, that one shot of the people playing the holographic video game with the uh, dudes with with, the, oh, with yeah. the dudes in armor, and because there was no good way to crop in or zoom on it, it's stretched out to fill the widescreen TV. And I was just like, hmm. "Dear God in heaven, give us a Doctor Who restoration team for Babylon Five, please, <laughs> <I know>. but, please." <laughs> 
but eh, maybe but. we could convince the Doctor Who restoration team to work on Babylon Five next. Now that they've maybe. got, uh, un- unless other- anything else gets found, they've got a lot of free time on their hands. Maybe exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Have we got any other thoughts before we make our jump? I would actually like to mention the music. Okay. Um, I, it was. It seemed a little different in this one, and Stephen and I noticed different things. But he pointed out that he just liked the music better overall. It was. It just. It sort of. He listens to music mm-hmm. all the time. He, that's a thing he notices. I usually don't. In this case, I did. Uh, as Garibaldi is trying to evade capture and you know sneaking through that door, and before he gets jumped, you know it's it's very nineties. But you know it's that da 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 dump da da dump da da dump. You know that sort of thing. And it just it worked. It kind of drew me in. I found that the music and in, in a lot of the scenes, then when I started paying attention, were just it, it all fit. It seemed to flow together really well. And maybe that was happening earlier, and I just didn't notice it. But the fact that Stephen pointed it out as being an, a, a good thing in this one, I, I think maybe maybe they Christopher Frank has found a groove at this point. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. Um, and uh, and then speaking of things that you that you hear. We get the point where uh, I, can't, I think it was when Earthverse One jumps in through the uh, through the jump gate. Stephen just turned to me and said, "Ooh, that's the sound of me turning off the podcast <laughs> because he doesn't listen to spoiler <laughs> space." So I just I just thought that was pretty nice. funny. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I I really find interesting the the plot about assassinating the Earth president. I do like in general the fact that. We are seeing Earth, our Earth, through the cauldron or the crucible or whatever it is you want to say of Babylon 5. Uh, We're seeing the um, struggle between more liberal or conservative elements or whatever you want to call it. The the struggle between um, engagement and isolationism. And Mm -hmm. it's getting really serious now. And we've had a few episodes where home guard activity and things of that nature have been going on in the background. And um, you'd think that uh, you'd almost think that they'd make more of the fact that uh, they almost blew up a Cobra Bay and they almost killed the president, you know, things like that. You'd, <laughs> it's almost perfunctory that this all got taken care of. You know, the incident, despite Garibaldi's creative report, as she called it at the end, you know, we were talking about in the last episode how um, – Believers should have been the end of Franklin's job. This one might well have been the end of Kimmer's job, maybe even Garibaldi and Sinclair's job. But uh, everything works out and nobody sees any real consequences for it. I wonder if that's just a, a consequence of the fact that we are we are out in space. And, you know, in space, <laughs> no one can hear you scream. No one can hear you complain. Um, maybe things No one reads your memos? Little- <laughs> yeah, it, maybe it has to be a little bit more Wild West because because it really is the frontier, you know, the the final frontier, so to speak. It's it, you aren't so close to all of the the bureaucratic red tape and all that kind of stuff. I think we see these characters getting really upset when they have to deal with all of the all the bureaucracy that that comes along with communication with Earth. Every time Sinclair is talking to one of the senators back home, he's kind of rolling his eyes whenever they're not looking <laughs> at him. So. Uh, 
I think maybe it is just showing us that this is this is a different world and we are looking at our world, the real Earth world through, um, I guess, maybe a lens of Babylon 5 is, is the way that I would is the way that I would put it. And, you know, pointing that out, that is another thing that I did like about this episode. I like that we see a little bit of those politics kind of in the background, somewhat in the foreground on this one. President Santiago is is trying to move toward more open relationships with the alien governments. And on the other side, we've got Home Guard that really doesn't want that and is, is willing to do whatever it takes to, to make that not happen. So I, I like that kind of push-pull political intrigue kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, there are there are so many things I can point to in this that I enjoy. Just overall, it wasn't a, an enjoyable experience watching this one. Yeah. I, I would like to have somebody just read me a synopsis next time, and that'll be perfect. Well, I think uh, Shannon took care of that for you. Um, yeah. Wait a <laughs> minute. Wait, how have we gotten this close to the jump gate without talking about Ivanova kicking ass? Oh, yeah. yeah, we mentioned because she it, does but, such okay. a good job in this one. Mm-hmm. I, I love the 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 best line in the whole story is "You are going to resist." Yes. I hope, and she says it with a smile on her face, and I was just like, "I love her so much." <laughs> and then, and, and then when she basically, and of course, you know, all of her references—if they're not Babylon Five references, they're Doctor Who references for obvious reasons. But uh, in mm-hmm. Into the Dalek, an episode that aired a few weeks ago, as we record this, the Doctor says, you know, you know, somebody threatens the Doctor, and the Doctor says, "No, no, no, get it right, say please." Basically, and Ivanova <laughs> gives uh, yes. Kimmer the same treatment this time, and then mm-hmm. Kimmer says, "Please," and she says, "Nope, goodbye." <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Make it a request, and she's like, "Okay, I request that." Blah, blah, blah. Request denied. Have a nice yep. day. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's um, when I mentioned, you know, seeing Ivanova, her personality coming out more. Yes, it definitely does. And mm-hmm. it's wonderful. It sure is. And actually, speaking of good lines, um, maybe that's my second favorite line, because one of my favorite lines in all of Babylon 5 is I-, I love cutting into the middle of a joke where you don't get the beginning of a joke and you just hear the end of it in fiction. I- that's one of my favorite little weird things that happens sometimes. So in the bar in Happy Days, when Garibaldi's in there and he's drinking, and he's just like, and then she said to me, if I could do that, I wouldn't need an encounter suit. <laughs> that's that is always stuck in my mind. I love it. <laughs> Just love it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of good lines, uh, JMS uh, talked a bit about the freelancing uh, situation when he, you know, hands his synopsis or some notes to a writer and then trusts the writer to fill in the episode and how so many people react to these episodes saying, why can't JMS write like this? And so many of so much of the time, what the people have fastened onto is a line that JMS has put in or added. And, you know, we get a beautiful one from Jakar <laughs> in this case, that's from JMS. The universe runs on the complex interweaving of three elements, energy, matter, and enlightened self-interest. And that's just the funniest line. I love that. I love that thing. Excellent. So lots of good parts in this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And in general, in the conversation, in the conversation, I'm enjoying the episode more in retrospect. So uh, just in a nutshell, Erica, where does it all fall, fall down for you? You know, I think after talking about it with you guys, it's it's definitely upped itself a, a few notches. I, I feel like it's kind of like a, a jigsaw puzzle that just wasn't quite put together appropriately because it's got all of these pieces that are really neat and a few that aren't aren't as great. And, and you know, somebody put those not so great pieces in more prominent locations and took some of the good ones and maybe pushed them off to the side. Yeah, that's that's my analogy. So I, I'll, I'll say it breaks even, but it's 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 not up there as far as my favorites uh, so far. Yeah, kind of the same here. I, I I enjoyed it overall. I think maybe I enjoyed it a little more than you guys did, which happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, a, a solid episode, but not a great one. And well, I would also like to point out that I love Babylon 5. So even the episodes mm-hmm. that are not yeah. my favorites, like it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. ragging on this too much. I still love it because it's V5. And yeah. let us not forget, let us mention for a third time, Stephen applauded after it. And any episode that can make that happen, I am <laughs> yeah. totally in favor of. <laughs> Actual <laughs> applause. I kid you not. Yep. Oh, okay. It just makes me feel all nice and warm and runny inside. But are we going to be able to make that happen next time, I wonder? Only time well, we'll next time is the episode to let our newbies know before we hit the jump gate. Uh, the episode is By Any Means Necessary. Um, and while I haven't watched it in a while, um, from what I remember, this was an episode that that I personally remember enjoying a lot of bits of. I'm going to have, have to watch again to see if the whole overarc of the episode hangs together for me this time. You know, but, I don't, uh, this is not a spoiler. I think this next episode might be the very first episode that I ever saw part or most huh. of. Okay. We'll see. We'll see if I have some of those, you know, memories of being like, oh, yeah, this scene. I'm not sure. But this might be the my first experience of Babylon 5. That would be okay. a very, very curious episode to stumble into if that was one's first. We'll see. I will, I'll report back next <laughs> next time. Okay. So this is the point where our new viewers should um, take themselves off and put the podcast away until such time as you have gotten to the end of everything. Uh, We are very glad that you are here and listening along with us. You can always find us online at our website, b5audioguide.com. We are also on Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide, and you are more than welcome to join in our conversations um, at any of those places. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and we will see our veterans on the other side of the jump. And we're back. Um, Thank you to those of you who are continuing to listen as we talk about the impact and seeds and foreshadowing and where this episode fits into the giant arc of five years that is B5. Man, it was difficult. Uh, as soon as I opened my mouth about the assassination plot and uh, thread, I was like, okay, how do I talk about this now? I've opened my mouth and I'm going to say things that do not spoil. How am I going to do that? I think you did a good job. I really do. I, I think, I, yeah, I thought about it when you said first said it and then you backtracked and or you walked it back. So I think it'll be fine. But yes, this is the first assassination attempt of uh, President Santiago um, that we hear of. Who knows how many others may have happened back home on planet Earth that we haven't. Um, And then, of course, they succeed at the end of the first season. Yeah. And throw everything into chaos. And I'm glad that they did that. I'm glad that they sort of... um And and I I wonder what you you two think. But in in my mind... President Obama has been, you know, there have been lots of lots of threats against him, you know, more so that I've 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 read that more so than um, previous presidents. Um, It strikes me that President Santiago would be in a similar position, uh, sort of a reformist, sort of radical, more radical ideas compared to the isolationist streak that's going on in EarthGov in the story. And I just think that having this happen in the 11th episode of the season. The echoes stick with us all the way up to uh, the season finale when somebody finally pulls it off. 
would you disagree with me? Would you say that uh, you know if they shouldn't have they shouldn't have done this plot this time because it weakens uh, the surprise for what happens in um, season and tw- the season finale? Huh. No, I think I, I, I go ahead, Shannon. I, I was going to say I completely disagree with um, the notion that this detracts somehow because, mm-hmm. um, as you said, this for me it makes it all the more believable that you know if it shows a pattern that's going on, even if we don't see it all on screen, um, it supports um, the fact that uh, they pull it off um, in the um, in the season finale. I could not agree more. I think that that this season of Babylon 5 is really we are weaving a tapestry. This is this is world building uh, at at its finest, I think in some ways. And I think that this is an important element to get in there so that when it actually ends up happening that it it really does feel natural. Cuz sometimes when when you get fiction, yes, it is it is nice to have that total shock moment. I mean, M Night Shyamalan wouldn't have a career if if that wasn't the case. But I think that sometimes when when you get those shocks, it comes at the expense of the seeds being planted appropriately. When it comes just out of left field and out of nowhere, it doesn't feel naturalistic enough to hang together. So you do get that emotional sort of, you know, oh my gosh, adrenaline moment. But then afterwards, when your brain starts working it out together, you're like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't as great as I thought. In this case, I would much rather have these seeds planted. Um, You know, if there's an organization that's trying to kill the president, you know, the president of an entire planet, uh, I think it only makes sense that they would have to try a few times before they they get it right and actually succeed. Um, And I, I love the fact that that is that that's something that's it's it's almost happening in the background it's yeah it's the a plot but really the most important part of the a plot here is garibaldi and his characterization and what he is going through in his past and the fact that that what is being pinned on him happens to be this political intrigue thing you know it really could have been anything and the story would have worked the same way for the character so i'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with with the way it worked out because they kind of put this in the background uh, enough that it wasn't, you know, there weren't flashing neon lights on it saying, look, look, they're going to kill the president. So I think we still got the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think it was subtle enough with, you know, towards I think it's the maybe even the last scene that Garibaldi makes some, you know, joke about uh, protecting the president or watching his back. And, you know, that was like a big light bulb for me. It's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's, you know, one of those tiny little nudges letting us know what's going Mm -hmm. to happen uh, later on. Something that I noticed uh, this time around as we were watching, um, the actor Je- who plays Jack, um, Garib- who's been Garibaldi's sort of second in command, um, our dark-haired fellow, he's nowhere at all in this episode. And, you know, it could just be the practical matter of maybe the actor wasn't available. But, you know, the fact that he wasn't there when he turns out to be a linchpin in both um, Home Guard and the assassination in the series finale when he, you know, shoots Garibaldi and tries to kill him. That actually stuck out for me this time rewatching. Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. But I suppose, I mean, maybe it was just a mundane thing, like he wasn't available. But Mm -hmm. if he... If he worked too hard to try to convict Garibaldi, that would look really, you know, bad for him if things didn't work out. And, uh, you know, be work, the fact that he's working for Home Guard or somebody means that he can't really work too hard to exonerate Garibaldi. So maybe from a, uh, a, a, you know, a Watsonian in-world perspective, we can just think that he just sort of removed himself from the situation so he didn't have to take a side so that he could still be, <laughs> be around later just in case. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he could have been helping Home 
home guard, um, and he could have been, you know, sort of behind the scenes helping getting the bombs there in the first place. Um, or he could have been just completely unrelated because uh, home guard and um, Psychor and President Clark's people and all that stuff would not necessarily have been working together. True. Uh, what it does do is it paves the way for um, a new recurring character. This is uh, the first appearance of David Crowley as Lou Welch. Who I love Lou Welch. Be... Me too. He's, gonna be he's a... just great. Yeah, he's going to be a regular uh, for the next couple seasons um, and playing some some key subordinate roles. So yeah, yeah it's kind of he's just a good old like he's he's like the the blue collar sort of just likable kind of guy i just i really appreciate uh, minor characters like that you know he doesn't necessarily have to have an episode all about his backstory or come to the fore he's just a a solid dependable character who is around and i think that's a good thing for ensemble casts like this yeah i think yeah. uh jeff conway wound up replacing him um uh which is if if uh the actor had st- stayed around, perhaps his role would have grown to the point where he would have become the uh, the the Zach Allen figure. Uh, oh, now I'm kind of sad for what might have been. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure about that, but um, but yeah, uh, he he really does add a lot to the show. He, he he's one of the more natural characters in a in a in a fairly stagey first season. He is one of the more natural um, actors, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I, I need to go back through my books, but um, he leaves. He leaves sometime in the second season, and um, he turns back up in one of the novels. Uh, one of the, uh, mm-hmm. I think, one of the bester novels. It doesn't end well for him. Oh, boo! Yeah. And speaking of tie-ins, um, there's a couple of things uh, that this episode sets up that JMS doesn't answer in show, but instead through the tie-in media. And one of them is um, the reason that Sinclair and Garibaldi are such tight friends. Um, we get enough of Garibaldi's background to wonder, you know, just how the heck, you know, what what possibly would have made Sinclair think that Garibaldi was a good choice for this high-profile position. Um, the series of comics um, that are now a trade paperback um, called Shadows Past and Present, that storyline happens on Mars um, and is a point where um, Sinclair and Garibaldi survive a really harrowing experience together and bond through that and come out of come out of the other side uh, very close friends that and a friendship that endures for many years. Um, there's also another comic, uh, Survival the Hard Way, which might be an episode in this series or it might be a different comic. But we learn more about Garibaldi's time when he knew Linnea as a little girl. And we get um, more of her childhood and more of that family in that comic. You know what? I think that's an excellent use of the, the tie-in media because I, I don't always like it when we get a story to explain absolutely everything. I appreciate it when we come in sort of, you know, in media ray and we are in the middle of a story and we are, are told that two of the characters have a great bond. And I'm I'm fine with, with just, you know, buying that and sort of being like, oh, something, something must have happened a long time ago that really brought them together. And I don't necessarily want to see a whole episode about that, but I kind of like that it exists in another format. So, so yay for that. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, um, it's also a good use of the comics medium. Um, I think if they had tried to film that story from what I remember of it, the special effects budget would have been astronomical. So, um, (laughs) so that's a good way to get that story out there. 
Um, but yeah, Shadows Past and Present. I actually looked it up. Um, you can get it on Amazon, um, and you can get it used for pretty cheap. But if you want to pay for a new edition, it's up to $75 now. <laughs> so, collector's market. Um, one last thing I wanted to bring in um, for this, uh, since we um, talk about the uh, series, the season finale, um, is the fact that it struck me when watching the episode uh, and thinking ahead to when um, they succeed and Santiago's uh, ship explodes, killing everyone on board. My first thought was, wait a minute, if she was on board, Garrow, you know, they never mention in the aftermath at the beginning of the next um, couple of episodes of season two, they don't, Garibaldi never mentions her at all. Um, and it seems likely that, you know, it's quite possible she would have been on that ship. Um, but, um, I actually, Chip, uh, and I talked about this earlier, but I went and looked it up. Uh, JMS has actually been quoted as stating that she was not on board the ship, that she was where she was supposed to be in advance of where he was going. Um, wherever that was, I don't remember off the top of my head, but again, that, you know, now thinking back, um, I'll have to wait and see when we get to those episodes. It just feels like that's something that, you know, should have, you know, been mentioned at least, um, not necessarily. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a missed of opportunity. Detail. Yeah, that was that was just that was something that I hadn't hadn't actually thought of down the road. But yeah, that is a missed opportunity, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are there have been enough times so far, even that we've seen that you know sometimes we just we cut out all of the fluff and we really don't get <laughs> some of the extra things that might deepen deepen the characters a little bit. You know, just thinking about Londo and his you know, his relationship with Adira, where we don't hear about that again until suddenly it's a giant plot point. So I think maybe that's just, I don't want to say a failing of the series in general, but just a It is a failing of the series. As a Babylon 5 fan, I must insist on all of the fluff. I must insist (laughs) on knowing what Delenn was doing during this episode. You know, I can hear you pushing up your glasses from here. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, think of it this way. I mean, they didn't even think to um bring Talia in for any kind of basic scans to, you know, see who was telling the truth and who might be lying, you know. It's true. Oh. <laughs> and in the fi- in the, the closing moments of the podcast, Shannon finds a plot hole large enough that you could push the station through. Right. <laughs> so let, I'm going to tell myself that she was off station doing something else. Back, or the know, fact get, that she was going com- back to Psychor for her yearly checkup or something. I don't know. Or there's the fact that she's a commercial telepath and she would have protested <gasps> that she's not supposed to do uh, that. But who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was something. Um, yeah, even though there was a lot of great stuff in this episode, there were still a couple of times that I was feeling like, you know, yeah, there's no Delenn this time around. You know, we haven't seen the assistants, um, you know, uh, in this episode lately, and I'm kind of missing them. So yeah, there was a little of that. I demand to know what Natath was doing. Actually, I would like to know what Natath was doing. I will, I, I will push up my glasses Natoth right along doing. with you and be like, "Yeah, what, what's that?" Hmm? <laughs> Can we think of anything else that that we have from the episode? Not what, not what wasn't in it, but what was it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't I got nothing think of else. anything I just... else. I'm just sort of sitting here. Dreading the um, dre- dreading next week. So you know, if if we can if we can think of anything else to say about this episode, so that we can push off thinking about uh, by any means necessary, that's all fine with me. I just, I just think I uh, I just need a glass of tarry right about now, a nice stiff one. <laughs> I'm I'm just making note of all of the different drinks that they right. have in Babylon Five. You know, for fun. Oh yeah, you and me both, well, sister. I mean, you- 
<laughs> Details like that are great, though. They they yep Love they it. add to it. Okay, well, I think we have thrashed this episode to its death for now, and uh, <laughs> we will, as we said, move on to by any means necessary for next time. Uh, and until then, this is Shannon and Durham, Chip and Durham, and Erica and Edmonton, and you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon Five. Mm-hmm.